Do you invest in ETFs? Whether you're thinking, what in the world is an ETF? Or you're looking for the next opportunity to add to your portfolio. GlobalX has you covered. From big tech to bonds and bars of gold, GlobalX offers a wide range of exchange-traded funds. Go beyond ordinary with GlobalX ETFs. Visit globalxetfs.com.au. That's globalxetfs.com.au. I am so excited to tell you that InvestSmart and Intelligent Investor are long-term sponsors of this podcast. And here's something I want to tell you about. The Intelligent Investor Select Value Fund is a unique mix of global leaders and homegrown small caps poised for long-term growth. The portfolio manager is Nathan Bell, a talented investor you may have heard on the Rust Network multiple times. The Select Value Fund is designed for investors seeking international diversification and Aussie companies with superior financial metrics. You can invest today at intelligentinvestor.com.au slash IISV dash offer. That's intelligentinvestor.com.au slash IISV dash offer. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Well, thanks for taking some time to join me on the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Aaron. Good to see you again back in Sydney. Yeah, recording in person. I saw you in Melbourne not too long ago. It was a rainy day and swapped it for a bit of sun, mate. It's great to be here. We're going to do uh, a bit of a deep dive into a business that I followed loosely for quite a few years and you followed a lot more closely recently, which is Metcash. But before we get to that, you obviously speak to a lot of mid-cap and large-cap and small-cap CEOs. I'm wondering who is one of the more impressive CEOs that you've come across from the like perspective of the way that they present and communicate ideas? Yeah, it's an interesting one because you do get a lot of salesy yep. CEOs to a certain extent. And as I, as I think about this, uh, and we're kind of coming out of the Berkshire Hathaway Mm. weekend and there's a, a guy who runs a business in the states called uh, Tom Gaynor. Tom yeah. runs a business called Markel, which is almost like a mini a mini Berkshire Hathaway. And on the Sunday after the Berkshire meeting, he hosts uh, his own annual meeting. And uh, I went to that a couple of years ago and he struck me he's not he's actually not necessarily a polished presenter, but he comes across as just very knowledgeable, very authentic. He tries to share his wisdom with with his shareholders very shareholder focused not really so much market focused but just a good long-term thinker that kind of resonated with the way that we like to invest mm. yeah he's a really good communicator i mm. think in the sense that he just kind of says it as if he was the the person listening to it which is a really good way to communicate um okay so you've been doing this a long time what's one thing that you learned in the past year about investing about business whatever I think what we've seen coming out of the COVID period and quite a, you know, quite a bullish market really in 2020, 2021, which was unexpected mm. when COVID first hit, is that over the last 12 months, I think quality matters again. And, and for us, we, we like that. Uh, you know, the fundamentals of a business matter. You know, all of a sudden, those companies that don't make money, that don't pay a dividend, that have stretched balance sheets, that have questionable management, you know, they've been sold off quite heavily. You know, mm. Stocks on big PEs, yet the companies that you know do make money are often founder-led, which is a, a, a big critical part of our investment process. But just 
are real businesses and have you know, strong balance sheets, good economics, they're being rewarded. Mm. And, I, and I think that's, you know, over the long term, you know, the, the, the quality pays off. Mm. I think so too. Um, and these are obviously my short answer questions. And I'm, yeah. I'm a, you're just sticking to the timeline without me even saying that. Um, but this one's a bit of a tongue in cheek one. I know the guys at Equity Mates, uh, Ren and Bryce, like to ask this question of their guests. What's the first investment that you made and how did it play out? Yeah, so my family was in furniture manufacturing. Mm-hmm. And in the mid 90s, one of the biggest customers was Freedom Furniture. Oh, yep. And they listed. And so my sister and I, Together, we, we bought some shares in, in Freedom Furniture and uh, it did okay. It's, you know, we had a couple of years of it. I think if we had our time again at that time, we should have bought Ramsey Healthcare or Woolies. But um, <laughs> it was uh, – we did all right. But it, you know, it was good because it kind of piqued our interest in the market. Um, as it turned out, I never joined the family furniture manufacturing business. I went down this path and not because Freedom doubled or tripled or anything, <laughs> but it was just a – you know, a more dynamic part of the business. So yeah, Freedom Furniture, which is no longer mm. no longer listed as part of the bigger South African group mm. now. Some some great retailers in Australia, like Nick Scarley and all the like. It's um it's a pity you didn't uh, have one of those on your on your desk as well at the time, but that's all right. Mm. Um, good way to start, mate. Doesn't sound too bad. Mm. So uh, I noticed, and this was more spawned from us preparing today's episode. Uh, we we've got two episodes to record here today, which will be released separately. First one on Metcash, second one on Flight Center. But I noticed in t- typical analyst form, I asked you to like run us through some companies that are on your list and you sent me heaps and heaps and heaps of notes. And I know you and Tom like to write a bit. You, know, you communicate pretty well through email and whatever with your investors. But why do you think writing is an important part of your research process or even being a professional manager? Yeah, I think there's a couple of aspects to that. For and you know, some people are very good at reading, and it just goes in and and stays in. Mm. And for me, I find that if I'm really looking deeply into something, and we, and we try to do quite deep dives into companies, and it's not just about the numbers. We get out and try to do site visits and and then articulate our thoughts to the rest of our team. But I just find that I can, if I can articulate my thoughts on paper and just think it through, the the end product is. Is much better, and you know I've read a few other pieces on this, and you know, Amazon's a good example of this. Where I think in two thousand and three, two thousand and four, Jeff Bezos brought in an internal process where they do a four or possibly six page memo, mm. and and got rid of PowerPoint inter- for internal meetings. Mm. And his argument there was that they'd then start an internal meeting, and everyone would sit and they'd read the the memo about some kind of strategy they might pursue. And his conclusion was that just created a lot more clarity of thought, uh, tested ideas a lot more than just the, you know, the big, beautiful pictures that you can often create in PowerPoint. Mm. And then I just so for me that's just a, a good way of bringing a lot of information together and trying to c- collate it effectively. And then as as you say, you know, Tom and I at contact we try to then communicate what we can with our investors. Mm. And we just think that's appropriate. You know, at the end of the day, it's, it's their money we're managing alongside ours. Uh, and you know, I think they're entitled to understand what we're trying to do and what we're thinking and what's interesting to us. Mm. Yeah, you guys are always very transparent and just honest with your thoughts, which is so refreshing. 
Uh, do you, when you guys like sit down as a team or you do your research and what have you, because I'm looking at your notes. For it, no one can see this, but I'm actually looking at your notes on in the table in front of us, which is kind of great. Um, but when you do these types of notes, is this what you send to each other? Or like, do you also follow that process of send a little memo to each other? Or do you more just talk openly about ideas? No, no, we do both. Right. Because then with BKI, we have an investment committee that we communicate through our stock sheets. And yeah. they're not unlike a broker investor yeah. note, really. Uh, in the early days, though, when we're first really going deeper on the stock, we do a checklist, yeah. which is 48 questions, goes through all our key, you know, how does the business make money? Do we understand it? What's the market look like? Uh, and it's you know, it's not war and peace. You know, we, less is more a lot of the time mm. with this kind of thing. But uh, it is, you know, th- that is communicated amongst the team. Mm. So, you know, so we, we don't all sit there and just communicate via email as well. Like if it's important, we'll talk to each other. But it was just a – it's also just a good uh, guide for the for the future. It's useful if, if a management team's coming in to see us to have that note from three or six months prior. Yeah. It, you know, it's quite useful Absolutely. as well. Yeah, because it, it's like I think you're going to talk about this today, um, or in the next episode where you talk about like you've got like the the corporate memory or the investment memory from researching companies that you no longer invest in, then you can invest in again and you can follow them through time. Um, so I've got one more kind of philosophical or higher level question, and we'll get into Metcash, which is where do you think investors go wrong with valuation? Yeah, well, valuation's hard, right? Mm-hmm. It is. There's a lot of metrics you need to think about a lot of inputs and i think some people get too caught up in the spreadsheet if that makes sense and mm-hmm. they rely on the they, they get comfort from implied precision where they might have a model that's 400 lines long but there's so many inputs but yet it, the dcf puts out an answer that says you know, commonwealth bank's worth 92 dollars and 50 cents and it must be right Whereas we don't think the answer is in the spreadsheet and we actually use the model more so for sensitivity analysis. You know, with, well, if the margins get cut in half, what happens? If we're looking at a big fund manager and flows go mm. sideways, what's that mean? What's implied in the share price? So I think you need to use valuation as a more flexible tool than I think a lot of people do because you can, as I said to some of the young guys working with us over the years, you can get whatever answer you want really. Mm. In terms, you can tweak the terminal rate, you can tweak the discount rate, you can tweak all kinds of things. Uh, and often there's a bit of bias in that as well. So we just think that, as we sometimes say, we'd rather be roughly right than precisely wrong. Yeah. And I think with valuation, you just need to consider that's only one part of the investment process. Mm, I like it. Um, so today we're talking about Metcash which is a supermarket and distribution and many different things business that people would know either as an investor or from their daily lives. But if it's from their daily lives, they may not know that this exists. So I'm hoping we can go through basically every step uh, of how you think about the business, but just maybe starting at the origin story or what the business does from the 30,000 foot view and then we'll step through it. Yeah, no, sounds good. So I I think you're right. I think a lot of people don't really appreciate how broad Metcash is and how Mm. many how many customers are probably amongst your your listener base? And so, as you said, Metcash is a, a supermarket, a liquor company, and a hardware business as well, uh, run for independence. And so companies such as IGA, uh, Celebrations, Mitre 10, Total Tools, 
this is all part of the, the Metcash portfolio. And then their core competency is wholesale and logistics. And so, you know, to a certain extent, it's like an old co-op. Mm. And, the, you know, the history of this, the IGA, which is the Independent Grocers Association, came out of the States probably you know, 100 years ago. And then it came into Australia probably in the 1950s, which is where Metcash was born. Uh, MITRE 10 was born in, I think, the 1960s. Uh, and there was... I think eight hardware suppliers that or hardware companies that got together and formed a buyer group. And there's a there's a Mitre Tavern in Melbourne. Yep, you're probably a customer, <laughs> uh, and and it kind of grew from there. And so over the last couple of years, it's kind of pivoted a little bit more into hardware as well, which we'll talk about because we think that's the one of the real growth areas of the business. Mm. Now, IGA did really well in COVID, as do many of these independent supermarkets and local supermarkets. But there's a we think there's lots of underappreciated parts of this business and there's a real valuation opportunity here too. So they've obviously grown through a few acquisitions and amassed these, the stable of brands. Um, so you see the hardware as kind of a, a differentiator and a, a really interesting proposition because there's quite a bit of competition in the groceries and with supermarkets and the like. Well, there is. And there's – so why, why don't we maybe go through each – Sure, different part of the business. So, uh, if we start with with groceries, uh, they're the number four player. Yep. Woolies number one. Woolies have forty odd percent market shares. Coles have I think twenty seven percent. Audi's in the high single digits, and, and Metcash isn't far behind. And then there's some small, absolute independent operators. So, Metcash being mainly IGA. Yep. And then IGA is interesting in that there's I think thirteen hundred and forty one. IGAs around the country, uh, and many of them are actually owned by a family group. So they may that Romeo's IGA you may have seen, or there's there's different ones around the country where there's um, one family or corporation, if you will, may own fifteen to twenty mm. supermarkets, but then they all fall under the the IGA banner and benefit from this buying power that Metcash can help them with. Uh, and so the the beauty of the of the business, we think, in a certain extent, is that we see that it's founder-led at that level, and it might attend a bit the same as well. So you have all these owner operators uh, under the corporate banner, but it's a you know they have the ability to innovate, but then they've also got this you know buying power behind them too, and they've got, so they're supporting independence, mm. and you know, the business believes there is a there is a place for independence. And that's what probably lends itself to the more regional focus as well. They have a pretty extensive like regional network. They do. They do. You're right. And, that, and as, as we talked about a moment ago, uh, COVID helped them a lot. Yeah. But at the same time, they were invest because you've got these kind of families taking a longer term view, they're investing in the supermarket and they went through quite a large CapEx program over the last couple of years. And then COVID allowed them to kind of probably super scale that to a certain extent. Uh, and from there, the shopping experience is a lot better than it was probably five years ago. Like we owned Metcash in 2013, 2014 at BKI and, and sold it mm-hmm. and since bought it back for both BKI and OX50 fund in, in more recent years. But uh, it's a far better offering today than it was. And the price point differentiation that was assumed is not as much for the convenience, the premium isn't as great as I think people probably thought before going into the the lockdown and the mm. you know the increase of the neighbourhood shopping centre. You guys did 
a basket comparison of your own, right? Yeah, so we, we did a piece on Metcash more recently, but um, in 2015, we owned, with BKI, we owned quite a lot, quite a lot of Woolies. Yeah. And this is when Coles were still on the West Farmers stable. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at that time, Audi were making great gains in Australia. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, there was a threat of Amazon coming as well. And the general consensus in the market was that Woolies was, was in trouble. And I think the stock was at yeah. $15. It was, it was pretty beaten up. And so Tom and I actually got in his ute and we drove out um, and actually did a basket of good shop at Audi, at Coles and, and at Woolies. And the, the conclusion was that while Audi was perceived to be cheaper, often the, the size of the product was, was a bit cheeky, it was a different size. And so the, oh. on a per gram basis, Woolies was going okay, Coles was, was similar, but there was a, an issue with that kind of good, better, best pricing in terms of their Woolworth Select brand, where they were just missing the mark at the private label area. And as they started to address that, we just thought there was a big business that was just being, it was distracted because they had the master's hardware issue going on. Uh, and our conclusion was that the business wasn't broken. And in fact, it was, was quite attractive once the master's thing was cleaned up. So we went pretty hard at Woolies back then and we did really well. Mm. And then so we thought, well, why not do it again with Metcash? A year or eighteen months ago, and, and, and we did that and similar kind of story, but instead of we we dumped Audi and we <laughs> we we put Metcash in, and again I think the perception was that once COVID finishes, no one will go back to IGA because it's too expensive, and yes, it was great while it was convenient, but why would you continue to shop no. there and pay the premium? And in fact, the premium was very low. The premium was maybe two three percent, and on a lot of goods, you know, a lot of consumer staples, it was cheaper. Hmm. Uh, and they'd invested, as I said earlier, they'd invested in the offering and it was it was a lot better. So we you know, we tried to spend a bit of time doing site visits. Uh, we were in Adelaide recently a couple of weeks ago and um, one, one client we spoke to spoke about going to one of the food lands in one of the suburbs in Adelaide. And I've got to tell you, it's one of the best supermarkets I've ever been in. Really? You know, the fresh offering, the meat offering, you know, they have this incredible cheese section. But well presented, had a little restaurant off the side of it. It was it was seriously an impressive experience. Hmm. So obviously now Metcash um, has got more to it than just like the grocery uh, and supermarket business. It's got hardware, and then more recently it bought Total Tools as well, which many people will know. The tradies in the room will know that Total Tools is probably the best for you know, like professional grade tools and uh, power equipment, like whatever you need. Mm. Um, how, so that side of the business, and there's one final one, which is liquor, which we can talk about in a minute too. In that market, obviously Bunnings domin- dominates the DIY market, but is that directly comparable to Mitre 10, Home Timber and Hardware and uh, the Metcash brands? Yeah, I think it is to a certain extent, which is why we think that Total Tools is such a great acquisition. Okay. Because- as, as you just mentioned, the, the brands they have through Total Tools uh, are, are the best. That's, that's what the tradies want yeah. to use. What's their slogan? Every tool, every trade. Yeah. And, uh, the, and, and again, when you walk the stores of Total Tools, it's, a, it's an impressive offering. So, yeah, Bunnings have half the market in, in DIY in Australia, and they do well with trade as well. 
Mm. Oh, we, we love Bunnings. We, we own West Farmers in BKI. We think it's one of the best businesses in the country. Mm. Um, Agreed. <laughs> but there is a, you know, there is an opportunity to to compete with them. And again, this Mitre Ten independent space is um, is significant. There's 360 Mitre Tens in the country. There's um, 154 of um, home home hardware. So you know they've got quite a lot of lot of breadth. Uh, but Total Tools is what will drive the growth. Mm. So there's 100 stores now. They want to get that to 130 in a few years. They're investing in that business. And the beauty in terms of the financials of the, the overall Metcash business is that this is a much higher margin business mm. than liquor or supermarkets. Mm. So the overall EBIT margin of Metcash as a whole is is much improved. Mm. It's also growing pretty quick too, right? So that they're, more of it's dropping to the bottom line, but also growing. Mm. Okay. So then let's go to the final one, which is liquor. Um, obviously, Woolies spun off Endeavour. Where does Metcash play in this? So Metcash is number two. Okay. So the brands that people would be familiar with there are uh, Celebrations, Porters, Bottolo. Mm-hmm. And again, big, big footprint. You know, there's yeah. 1,400 uh, bottle shops in Australia. They've actually also got a presence in New Zealand as well. There's 350 sites over there also that under under the Metcash IBA banner. Um, but you're right, Endeavour Drinks is the market leader. Uh, they'd have 45% of the market. And then um, Metcash would have 20, 20%, you know, which is a, it's a $30 billion market in yeah. Australia liquor. So they've got you know, $5 billion worth of sales. So it's not, it's not insignificant. Mm. That's probably more of a steady growth business. And I think if you look at the Endeavour numbers as well, the, you know, the big growth of Dan Murphy's isn't what it was a couple of years ago, but it's uh, there's probably more of a store rollout potential story with with Metcash. But, you know, we, we view that more as a kind of low single-digit growth story. Yeah, right. So with the the business overall, they've obviously got – in each of the verticals, they've got some, like, giants that occupy a big part of that, you know, Endeavour, Dan Murphy's, uh, Bunnings from West Farmers – uh, and then obviously in the supermarkets, you've got two big big players. Is this – so this is kind of like more of a philosophical question, which is like is that position for them in each of those verticals enough to generate market-beating returns? I think it is. I think Australia is really the home of the oligopoly in many ways. Mm. And, you know, we've got four banks. We've got three, four big supermarkets. I think they can all survive. And I think there's a home – a lot of people want to support independence. And as you, as you mentioned earlier, there's a big regional play here. And you know, mm. the local motor, the local Mitre Ten or the the local IJ is an important part of a community, and people want to support that. And if they can be competitive, and they are through you know, good buying, good offering, you know, a, a good customer experience, then I think there's definitely a place for growth here. Mm. Um, I'm curious how you think about valuation of a business like this because Metcash has been through some trying times and like from a share price perspective, not to take too many signals from that, but people like Aldi or businesses like Aldi come in and people think, wow, that's going to wipe out the third player in grocery. Um, And then Masters came and gone. Um, I'm curious how you think about like the valuation. Does it deserve to be at a discount to its peers? Like, How do you think about that? We think there should be some discount. 
because the others, as you mentioned, are market leaders and the returns are very attractive. The returns are attractive in Metcash as well. The return on invested capital is you know, close to 20%, mm. which is excellent. That's, yeah, really good. And the balance sheet's solid. Uh, the cash flow generation is is looking quite attractive over the next couple of years, up, you know, post all this capex spend, you know, even with the growth for total tools. But we just can't reconcile why would Metcash only trade on 12 and a half, 13 times PE multiple, yet you're paying 22 times for Coles, you're paying 23 times for West Farmers, you're paying 26 times for Woolworths, all wonderful businesses. And I'm not saying they're necessarily overvalued. I just think that Metcash is undervalued. Yeah. Yeah. Is that how you think about the valuation of this business? Or do you think just it it's enough to look at the sector and you do the comps or the comparables? Or do you pull apart each of the different business units and say, well, what's that worth? What's this worth? What's that worth? Yeah, we do we do we do both. Okay. And then we so you know, we'll look at all different types of valuation methodology. So we have a model with the DCF valuation on it. So at the moment, we think it's you know, stocks trading close to four dollars. We think it's worth kind of mid to high fours, probably, you know, probably close to five dollars. Uh, so you know, we we can easily get twenty five percent upside in the Metcash valuation. You mm. know, which again puts it on a PE that's still well below that peer group we just discussed. Mm. Uh, so you know, it, it, independent of you know what what it looks like compared to the sector, we just think it looks incredibly cheap, and the dividend yields attractive too. You're getting a high single digit. Mm. dividend yield also so when we kind of put that all together with a solid balance sheet you know what we think is a pretty solid management team as well i was going to ask about that and uh you know not not necessarily at the, at the head code level where there's a uh, a new ceo that came in uh, 18 months ago from from south africa mm-hmm. um doing a solid job already uh and then the the chairman peter Bertels used to run super cheap auto so he's got some great experience also so uh, so we combine that corporate overlay with this idea of having the you know the owner operators founder led at the IGA MITRE ten level. Mm. So from a qualitative perspective, we we like that. But then the valuation just looks so compelling. Do you think that the, the reason the valuation looks so compelling is because a lot of people like to now shop online and they see. Not a Metcash stores as convenience, uh, and they think maybe the online model competes directly with them. Yeah, online's an interesting one. I think only fifteen percent of people still consider that they, they're online only, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, supermarkets haven't really cracked the code yet on making money out of online in in a, in a meaningful way. Now, compared to you going into the supermarket and doing it yourself, mm. you know, trying to pick a basket of goods be it from a dark store or from an actual, you know, your local supermarket. Um, I think click and collect has a, a bigger role to play going forward. But in terms of competing purely with with online and having huge distribution centres, um, I think that's still got a way to go. Mm. And that's not just an Australia problem. That seems to be a, a challenge globally. Mm. So what do you perceive to be the risks then with Metcash? One of the risks is... Because there are some of these family and you know groups that own several IGAs, uh, and we just focus on that for a moment, they can leave. And 12 or 18 months ago, one Drake's, which was a big supermarket chain in South Australia, did leave the the Metcash family, if you will, uh, and that took you know 15 million dollars out of earnings. So that's that's not immaterial. So mm. you know, that is that is a risk that if the the 
wholesale and the the offering that Metcash Hedco and the buying power doesn't play out, you know, that's that that is a risk. Um, you know, I think the if we go back to the pre-COVID world where people, you know, do do go back to the big malls to shop wholeheartedly, that's a that's a risk mm. as well, I think. I just think the behaviour's changed to a certain extent where the convenience shopping has has become more prevalent. So I don't I don't worry about that, that as much as potentially some of the other the other ideas as well. Mm. But um I just think that the when I when I think about the risk reward here and where the market's pricing this stock, it's it looks quite compelling. Like you said, you've got that um fully frank dividend that underpins the business as well and the valuation to an extent. Mm. So dividends, um, like early days, but impressed with the management team so far. Uh, valuation upside, um, diversity of brands now, and a new acquisition. Total tools hopefully means more organic growth, um, and overall, just a business that is yes operating in competitive markets, but seems to be fitting in quite well. Probably fair to say. No, I think that's fair to say. And at the moment, you have this tailwind with with inflation where it is. It's actually beneficial for the supermarket. So you know, we had some retail stats out the last couple of days. The supermarket food inflation is running at high single digits. Mm. And you know, if you can pass those prices on, which they have been able to, it's you know that helps the the momentum of the business also. Mm. That's great. It was a good um, good overview of the business that people. No, pretty well, mate. It's uh, it's it's a, it's always been a business that's been on like my watch list, mm. but I've always just for some reason just ha- kept it there. I've never really pushed it further than that. But yeah, it was well, an interesting one because when you scratch, you just assume it's the supermarkets. You don't really. I think once you scratch the surface, and you realise this is liquor business, and as I said, there's quite a compelling hardware business mm. with a lot of growth opportunity there as well. You are getting a diversified earnings stream, and as I said, and I've said a couple of times, it's, we, we think it's cheap. Mm. Mm. And you've had it for this time around for quite a while now. Yeah, we had it for the last couple of years. Yeah, right. Yeah, but you guys don't tend to turn over. No, no, no. So I'm hoping I hold it for, <laughs> for several years to come. Yeah, great. Mm. Uh, if people want to find out more about you and see what else is in the portfolio, they can head to contactam.com.au, and um, you may even do one of these into a bit of a stock note for us that I'll publish as well uh, in the in the show notes, so you can read Will's. Uh, notes just like I have had the treat of doing. Uh, it's really great because it actually is. It's really great, and you bring it all together. You bring it to life, which is which is really nice too, mate. So uh, I really do appreciate you taking some time to to walk across the city and uh, sit down and record with me. No, wonderful. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Before you go, I wanted to share some things with you. Specifically, I wanted to tell you about the 10 ways that Rask could help you in 2024. As many of you know, Rask has grown to become one of the biggest investing and finance platforms in Australia. Across our podcasts, our websites, our memberships, and so on, we now engage around 200,000 Aussies which considering we started in a humble lounge room on a Kmart desk, one of those old fake white wooden ones, I'm pretty ecstatic about where we are six years later. As part of becoming one of Australia's biggest platforms for wealth creation and preservation, 
we now have a very special position in the country in that we can bring you some of the best, most thoughtful, expert-driven ways to protect and grow your wealth. And I'm going to share some of those with you now. I've got 10 ways that we can potentially help you or match you with someone who can. The first thing that I want to tell you about is the biggest step we've ever taken at Rask, which is the launch of our Rask Invest platform. This is a platform that lets our team, led by me, invest for you, primarily through low-cost, diversified ETFs. We'll have three strategies at launch, and every investor who comes through can pick one of the three strategies being a balanced strategy, a growth strategy, and a high growth strategy. The balanced strategy focuses on passive income, and the high growth strategy focuses on longer term compounding. You will find a link in your podcast player to register your interest. We will be taking off soon. Number two, if you prefer to DIY your investing, you can join me and over 4,000 members inside Rascore. That's our full ETF and ASX share research membership community. You can join now and you'll get updated ETF portfolio recommendations every quarter, as well as ongoing ASX and global stock research. Every single month, we call them the all-star stocks. You get that alongside the ETF portfolios, as well as other members-only content. It's called Rascore. Number three, our first ever partnership with a business other than our own was a business by the name of Blusk, which has since become Flint Group. Flint Group is led by Chris Bates and Christian Stevens, two of Australia's most highly regarded mortgage brokers. Already over 200 Rask community members have begun the Rask plus Flint Group mortgage broking process. You can click the link in your podcast player if you're refinancing, investing, a first home buyer, or whatever. You've probably heard Chris on the show many times. Number four, you can connect with our most trusted financial advisors. Whether you're 25 years old, just graduated uni and looking to set yourself up or approaching or in retirement and you've got that nest egg you want to protect and generate a passive income from, you can get in contact with our trusted panel of financial advisors. You can find the link in your podcast player. It's there each and every week. Just click the thing that says financial planning. Number five, if you want specialist insurance advice, as Warren Buffett said, rule number one is don't lose money. And rule number two is don't forget rule number one. Insurance is vitally important, especially when it comes to your number one asset, you. Whether you're a single income household or a couple and you just want to protect what would happen if. You want to protect your family if something goes wrong. You want to protect your spouse if you lose your job. You want to protect yourself if you hurt yourself on the weekend at footy. Insurance is a way to do that. And I think the best way to do insurance is through a financial planner. And there's a few reasons for that. But one of them is sometimes some insurers will only work with financial advisors, but they can also be your companion as you go through the sometimes daunting process of getting insurance done properly. Sometimes you might not even know, but you're not even covered, even though you think you are. So get the right advice. You'll find a link in the show notes to check that out. Number six, buying property. If you're like me and you're thinking of buying property in the next 12 months, or maybe you've already invested and you're looking to downsize, getting the right advice and being able to build wealth through property is a proven strategy. It might be one of the most contentious, 
But I think that we have one of Australia's best property coaches in our ranks. That is Pete Wargent. Pete is the host of the now super popular Australian property podcast by Rask. And he's also my analyst team's macro consultant. So if you're a member of Rascore, you will have seen Pete's name around the traps. He's a property coach and buyer's agent, and he works with a select number of people each and every year. Just a note on this. This is not a commercial thing with Pete. Pete just has great services, so we offer them to the community. And when he fills up, he fills up. You can find out more about Pete's coaching in the show notes. Next up, tracking your portfolio for tax. I think you are because I think you have to. So we've partnered with Nevexa to help you manage your share and ETF reporting, whether it's tax or performance. All Rask users get 20% off an annual plan with Nevexa. You can sync your portfolio with Nevexa's software and it automatically tracks your dividends, your capital gains tax, and more. Again, not a commercial partnership. We don't make anything from working with Nevexa, but they do create some great tools which the Rask community uses each and every day. Number eight, want to run your own business? Maybe you already do. If you want more profit, but less stress, less time consumed, and less energy lost, get in contact. We have a partner business called Inflection. The Inflection Accelerator Program is a complete online course that helps you and a community of members engage and follow a proven strategy for growing your business. I'm grateful to be one of the coaches inside the Accelerator program, helping business owners right across Australia. You can find more following the link in your podcast player. It's the one that says coaching. Number nine, if you haven't already checked it out, join over 20,000 other people who tune into the Rask YouTube channel. It is completely free and you get notified when we go live and when we publish podcast episodes. There is a podcast on the Rask network each and every day, as well as bite-sized material that's less than 60 seconds or those really punchy tutorials and webinars that are just 15 minutes that take you through a really exciting topic, whether it's how to buy a property, whether it's how to pick a dividend ETF. Some of our most popular content actually just explains things like, what the heck is franking credits and how do I calculate if I've got some? That's on our YouTube channel. Number 10, if you want to be a better investor, a saver, a better partner with money, or just understand your own relationship with money, you can do that all of that by going to the Rask Education website and taking a free course. We've enrolled over 26,000 students at the time of this recording, and we are on a mission to get to 100,000 in the next few years. Rask Education is our mostly free education platform covering everything from budgeting and automation to the probably, I would say, the best value investing program in the country. So whether you're a value investor an intermediate investor, you want to know how to value Woolworth shares, or you simply just want to understand what ethical investing is or buy your first property and what actually happens on settlement day, head to the Rask Education website and enroll in something today. It is free and it supports us because then I can come on here next month and I can say we've got 27,000 and hopefully we reach critical mass where we can help more Australians manage their money better. Thank you for listening to this long-winded ad if you want to get in contact with me, you know where to go. There's a link in your show notes. Basically, these 10 services, even though some of them we don't make any money from, support Rask and allow us to produce these podcasts, attract the biggest and best guests from Australia and around the world, and bring them to you to answer your questions. Thank you for being part of the Rask Network, and thank you for your ongoing support. Bye for now.